Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is January 17th, 2022, and this is episode 332. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, well, we're all locked out, but we'll manage to sneak out onto the diamond and go around the bases. And we'll also sing some Auld Lang Syne and talk about 2022, as it were. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. Uh, it's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, so I, I'll be honest with you. I am extremely low uh, on beer, and there's really no good excuse for it, um, just besides my own laziness. Uh, so I've got a kettle sour uh, from Independent Brewing from this summer um, that was just kind of lingering in my fridge. Um, it is called Black and & Brew. And, um, yeah, it's got... Um, it's fine. I mean, it's not bad. Um, but yeah, it's just definitely not a winter beer, um, as it were. So uh, it's going to get rectified this week. Uh, I'm going to go down and get some 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 stouts and, you know, some barley wine. Um, but yeah, a kettle sour in, in the middle of January is not appropriate. So I apologize. Well, I, I think you'll be the one ahead of us, uh, of the two of us. I myself am drinking a Michelob Ultra. I had to operate a table saw yesterday, and it seemed like the safest option. If you'd like to know what we are drinking on a daily, weekly basis, uh, come and join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. With that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you kick us off? Here's a tweet that came to us from Sarah Ellison at SG Ellison. She tweets as follows. The NFL's playoff expansion made for some boring wildcard games that weren't competitive. Too many teams were blown out because they didn't belong in the playoffs in the first place. This is an opinion, obviously, and whether or not you agree, I still think it's an interesting thought as the CBA negotiations are underway and playoff uh, expansion for MLB is a certainty at this point. It's just the number of teams that they'll, they'll add to the fray. I really wonder what that will do to the quality of MLB playoffs. And so um, I, I like to look at, at other sports like the NFL and how they go about doing things to see about uh, potential problems with the future of Major League Baseball. I mean, I think this is a really adequate po- point. I mean, there is no way that a team who you know has barely, you know, almost 90 wins could ever win the World Series. I mean, how would they ever beat the Dodgers? and the Astros and everything like that. I mean, it's just, it's just not possible. So, I mean, I completely agree that we should take the best team from the American League, the best team from the National League, and not worry about any of this stuff going forward. You think the 14th best team in baseball is going to win the World Series very often? I don't think the 14th best team uh, in Major League Baseball is probably going to win it that often. But, again, we've already shown this before in the past of, like, um, there is such an, an, an unpredictability factor as it relates to Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, and again, it, it, it comes down to it's not just one game. It's a combination of multiple ones. So, like, I, I'm all for expansion of playoff baseball. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it gets people interested into September, even while the NFL is playing. Um, someone's got to really explain to me why it's a bad idea to get more eyes on September and October baseball. And um, I've yet to see a good reason for it. The September and October baseball 
has to be good. It has to be. It's it's got to be better than you know the typical NFL standpoint where we watch it for one day on a Sunday for three hours and get really grumpy um, because apparently someone didn't call the right play. Um, I'd rather watch playoff baseball for three hours and just be really upset with my my manager for not being, bringing someone out of the bullpen. Too soon. Too, Too soon. soon All right. What else happened on the Twitters this week? Jake, some sad news. Um, Travis Snyder has retired, according to Bert Rowley. According to his Ooh. Travis Snyder, a.k.a. Nick Marcakis 2.0. Oh, yes, 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 of course. So, uh, yeah, he, he's he's retired. Um, I'm really surprised that he hasn't retired already. Um, but he uh, played for the Orioles uh, back in 2015. He was supposed to be Nick Marcakis 2.0. Uh, Orioles acquired him from the Pirates organization at the time, um, and it just didn't work out. So um, he was apparently kicking around in AAA with the Braves. Um, I guess he gets maybe a World Series ring out of the deal, and um, yeah, he's done for his career. So farewell to Nick Marquez 2.0. Um, I really wish that we would assign Nick as opposed to having Travis Snyder be the, be the future of the team. I remember exactly one thing about Travis Snyder, and that's the ridiculous catch that he made on the Buck Showalter gnome night. Do you remember this at all? I, I don't recall anything about the Travis Snyder experience besides <laughs> uh, sitting at FanFest and hearing Dan Duquette say, well, we're really fond of Travis and, you know, the the range and the power that he has put out. And that was the whole thing that people talked about was just the power that Travis Snyder had demonstrated in the previous year with the Pirates organization getting another, I think it was like 50 feet worth of fly ball distance. Um, and again, he returned to normalcy after that one season and came back down, down to earth. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't recall anything besides that in, in the Travis Snyder era. He caught a ball that even he looked surprised that he got to, and it happened to be Buck Showalter Gnome Night. That, that's it. That's all I remember. Okay. but So it was a web gym is what you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next tweet I want to cover is um, it's some it's bittersweet news, I guess is the best way to put it. But um, it comes from Justin Fenton. If you're not following Justin Fenton, um, go so and do so now. So Justin has been writing uh, for the Baltimore Sun for the past 17 years. Um, you know, he has wrote up on everything from the Baltimore police to the Baltimore crime scene to everything. Um, and he's leaving the Baltimore Sun um, and he's going to be joining a new nonprofit model uh, called the Baltimore Banner. Um, and I think this is such a, you know, a, a big step for Justin in his career. But I also think it's really one of the situations where it's the right thing to do. Um, for folks that don't know, the Baltimore Sun has, in essence, been bought out by, we'll call it, you know, a large media conglomerate. Um, printing is probably not going to be done in the city of Baltimore anymore. It's going to be done in, in Delaware, Delaware North, as it were. Um, <laughs> and again, I think it's so important that we are having quality journalists um, be able to write what they want to do, write what they want to cover um, as it relates to getting the news out um, to the greater metropolitan area. So um, congratulations to Justin for taking this step and also for making this kind of commitment um, to doing what he loves. Here, here. It's not just uh, Justin Fenton leaving uh, the Baltimore Sun. The the Sun is is just uh, losing losing folks left and right. One of course is John Mioli, who um, in early January uh, left the Baltimore Sun, and he's now got his his own newsletter. Uh, we could have pulled any number of tweets 
I like this one. This is one's from Eric Birdland at Eric underscore Birdland. He tweets as follows. If you woke up wondering where the O's bridge pitchers are in their development down in the day, down to the day. Hi, friend. How about 2022 expectations with these changes? Subscribe to at John Mioli and it can be emailed to you too. detailed read as always. And that's a pretty good summary. John Mioli does great work. And now he gets to write, you know, about the things that he wants to write about in long form uh, without any kind of, um, you know, major media partner. Um, I don't want to say shackles, but he really, you know, has has the freedom to write the things that he wants to write. I'm excited. John's one of the best in the business. And uh, I hope everyone is uh, is reading his excellent work over there at the uh, at the newsletter. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I completely understand John's aspect. I mean, you know, moving on, but also considering some of the other stuff that he's got going on with family, but also you acting as head coach at Loyola as well for women's hockey. Um, and again, I would even challenge that basis of one of the best. John Mioli is the best. He is the best beat writer out there for the Baltimore Orioles and has been for several years now. Um, you know, Rock is certainly going to be there, but again, Rock's got the inside connection working through Masson. But if you're talking about a true beat writer, John Mioli has absolutely dominated anybody on the path for quite some time now. So I hope to continue to see John's work. I think John has said that he's going to try to get out three to four articles per week. I think that's the perfect um, summation of what we should be doing at this moment to cover the Baltimore Orioles. And I hope as... Uh, things have a tendency to do um, life pays him back in full um, in dividends and with future opportunities um, as they come about in years to come. You mean the, the uh, perfect amount isn't one podcast per quarter? Um, I mean, for us it is. Um, <laughs> and like I said, I, we've, we've talked about this before, but for the off season, yeah, I think, you know, getting to one month or one per quarter when it's the off season and, you know, nothing is going on, yeah, I think that's an appropriate basis. If people really want to hear from us more often, um, you know, I, I'll tell you what. You can rent us from our wives uh, for the low fee of – well, our wives would actually probably pay you, honestly. So um, <laughs> if you're looking to make a little extra money, um, contact our wives, okay? And with that, I think we should probably take a break, refill the drinks, and come back and go around the bases. That sounds like bland. All right, it's that time again. Let's do it. Let's go around the bases. Let's start at first base. And my question to you is this, Scott. Will we ever baseball again? Yes, I mean, absolutely. things are pretty quiet with uh, baseball and the Players Association, right? Like, what what's going on? What should we expect? All right, so I, I think the obvious answer is yes. Like, we're definitely going to baseball again. Uh, there's way too much money on the line. But I think everyone was pretty agitated that um, – <laughs> The lockout began on December 2nd, and the sides didn't come together until, we'll call it this past week, on, on January 13th. So it was just like, uh, as of December 2nd, they're just like, guys, we're going on six-week holiday. We're going to do the whole European thing, as it were, and just, you know, we'll come across to both sides. And again, 
Suds got back together again. There was talks. Um, there was co- a conversation about the luxury tax payroll um, aspect. Um, I think ownership decided to say, hey, we'll go up an extra like $6 million. And I think the Players Association had asked for an additional like $30 million off the top of my head. Um, I, I, I don't know. It just seems like it is one of these situations where it's going to get done. It's just a matter of when, not if. I don't think there's anything that is groundbreaking that we're all surprised on. I think this is just at what point is the Players Association basically say, this is good enough. We're going to go ahead and sign an agreement. Yeah, I wonder what you know the big thing is that they're holding off on. I think, and we talked about uh, the playoffs earlier, I think the playoff expansion is probably the the player's biggest bargaining chip, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the te- television money is just too big uh, for those expanded playoff games. But I, I'm curious as to what the white whale is for the players and what they'll settle for instead. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at things like, um, you know, getting players to arbitrate quicker or getting pit players to free agency sooner, increasing the, the, minimum uh, salary, things like that. Baseball is not going to shift to allow free agency sooner. I, I, I don't see them moving from six years to five. So I wonder what it, what's going to be good enough for the players to get the sides back closer together. And, and once they do, I'm really also interested to see all the extra stuff, right. That that's already agreed to. Right. Right. The, the players and, and baseball are both on the side of wanting universal DH. Right. They they have all this other stuff that they already agree to in principle. It'll be interesting once the CBA is um, is signed to see, you know, what, again, the players concede to and um, what else comes out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is going to be um, we'll, we'll see an increase to the to the luxury tax. Um, I think there will be a change as it relates to uh, Super 2 status. I think Super 2 status is dead, um, a- as it were. Um, I think that we're going to get into an agreement where at a certain age um, or length of years, you become a free agent regardless. Um, and then I think the big one that is the only other kind of holdup in terms of what it's going to be is just making sure that um, – there is some kind of formula in place in order to compensate the players for streaming services that are coming about. And I think that's going to be a big one of like, if major league baseball advanced media and MLB, in essence says we're going to broadcast everything through MLB.tv. Um, what does that look like going forward for the revenue sharing between all teams in major league baseball? Um, and, I, and I think that's something that just has to be ironed out so that there can be an even playing field um, across across the all, all the organizations. Okay, fair enough. So baseball is going to happen again. I think that you know before we went our, on our own lockout, um, you had said that it was probably likely that we'd lose some of spring training, but pretty pretty unlikely that season games would get wiped out. Um, do you think that the fact that baseball was impacted by COVID, um, you know, the fact that they had all those those games 
uh, and revenue opportunities uh, blown away over the last couple of years. Do you, do you think that that is a factor for how quickly they get back to baseball? Or do you think that the, uh, the number of zeros after the comma is enough to, to get the deal right? I think it's just dots and zeros at this point. I mean, I, I, I don't see any aspect of people saying, yep, we, ha- we absolutely have to do this um, at, at a certain point. So no, um, I don't think that's the case. You know, I think if we look at the timeline and, and, you know, I think we've got to give consideration here. It's like, you know, pitchers and catchers are going to schedule to report in February 14th. So we're a little less than a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. I do think that'll get impacted. I mean, I do think that we're probably not going to see boys in shorts um, on February 14th. I'm sorry, Jake, you're going to have to contain yourself for a little bit longer. It's like the groundhog. Um, it saw its shadow and decided to go back into the hole. Um, but I do think that by March, um, we will see people start to show up at facilities again. So, yes, delayed a little bit, but not significantly is the best way to put it. Delayed, but not denied. Yeah. I think the big question really comes back to of like, you think the money situation will get, you know, done. Um, I think, you know, some revenue sharing will happen accordingly. Um, I think the big question is, and, you know, I think Scherzer was talking about this was just competitive. Um, and it's obviously something that is, we'll call it near and dear to any Orioles fan's heart, which is, I think both players and Major League Baseball owners are upset about the tanking standpoint that is going on right now. Um, and I'm, I wonder if um, there will be a situation where um, one of the agreements that come out of it will be a change as it relates to draft order. And what does that mean for the Baltimore Orioles going forward? Yeah, well, the players, or I'm sorry, baseball in their um, proposal last week um, included a a change to the proposed uh, draft lottery system that would supposedly disincentivize tanking teams, making the, uh, I think the the top three worst teams in baseball would be entered into a lottery for the first round draft pick. And after three years of being in that lottery, teams would be ineligible to be included in the lottery. Right. I mean, so if we think about it from the Baltimore Orioles standpoint, theoretically, they wouldn't be impacted immediately because, again, they didn't have one of the top three picks for the past three years. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, it's just interesting of, um, you know, the, if the Orioles are bad again this year, what does that mean going forward? I mean, you would hope, and we've talked about this before, five years ago when the team was blown up in 2018, we said by 2023, the team should be fielding something out there that is competitive. I said, it's going to be about a five-year building process. It's going to take some time. And I feel like even looking at the minor leagues and looking at what the Orioles have, I think 2023 is still a reasonable number. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but I do think they could play competitive baseball into September um, in, in 2013. But there's a lot of what-ifs there. <laughs> Well, let's let's put a pin in expectations because we're going to come back to that. Let's uh, let's wrap up here at first. Start heading into second. Second base is uh, roster thoughts. Let's talk about the roster a little bit. Uh, Last week, obviously, the big big news was the Orioles making a splash in the international uh, free agent signing period. Uh, They got three big names and then uh, signed a total of I think it's twenty four international players but those three guys made kind of a uh, kind of a splash so they got uh 
Prieto, Tavera, and Arias. That's uh, Prieto is a uh, 22-year-old shortstop. Tavera is an outfielder. He's 16 out of the Dominican Republic, and Arias is a 16-year-old shortstop. Uh, but these were highly, highly uh, regarded guys. You know, in the 20s to 40s in the uh, Major League pipeline, Major League Baseball pipeline. What do you make of the Orioles? Uh, you know, being able to land top talent like this. It's weird uh, is the best way to put it. Like I said, I, I, I'm really happy to be seeing. I mean, um, once, you know, Elias came out and was mentioning specifically of getting back into international signings again, you knew it was going to take some time. Um, but to see the Orioles go out and think sign three individuals in the top 50 uh, from Baseball America for the international prospects, it's a really big, it's a really big standpoint going forward. I mean, they're going to sign... Um, you know, 24 uh, international signings. They're going to spend all their bonus pool money. Dan Duquette would be flipping a lid at this moment. <laughs> um, but again, you look at Prieto. I mean, he is going to, 22 years old, he's actually probably going to go right into double A. Um, you know, you look at Tavera and Arias, and again, you don't know what they're going to turn out to be. I mean, they're two 16-year-olds. Um, so again, uh, it, it could be nothing. But Again, you you take a look at this and you say, this is what other teams have been doing for quite some time now. I'm glad that the Orioles are participating in the process, as it were. Um, and again, I'll also give a shout out to um, The Verge, a local podcast um, that is going to be talking to um, you know Orioles player development on their podcast that they're recording this evening. Um, so if you're done or you've already listened to them, Again, they are going to give you a lot better insight in terms of these international draft pick signings um, as best you can for a 16-year-old or a 22-year-old. But I just love that the Orioles are willing to go out there and spend the money both in terms of these signings and then, again, all the commitment they've made in terms of building the Dominican facilities and everything like that. The Orioles, while people on Facebook are criticizing the Orioles for not spending on free agency, the Orioles are doing the infrastructure and the solid foundation building um, to set themselves up for success for years to come and i'm talking you know 10 plus years as opposed to just focusing on winning for three or four years yeah absolutely no i i think that's well said i'm interested to see what prieta does in uh double a you know if this guy is the real deal it's possible that we see him in baltimore at some point um but you know to your point i think it's it's really more a matter of having the orioles be um you know, well represented in in Latin America, so that they can start landing big names and developing uh, those into even bigger names. So I'm I'm excited about that as well. For reference, last year uh, our top two international signings went to uh, number 19 and number 24 in the Orioles' top 30 prospects list. I, I find that interesting because the Orioles' uh, minor league system is is pretty well regarded at this point. So I'll be curious to see. Uh, where these guys land on that on that uh, list, uh, because again, it's not just when will we see these guys in Baltimore. At some point, all of that infrastructure that you speak to is is also, I hope, going to help buy the pieces that are going to be required to get us to that contention that you talked a little uh, a little bit earlier in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see what, what Prieto does again. I, we'll we'll but again, it comes back to like. You made an immediate signing, and even as of today, Prieto was actually at the Sarasota Complex working in there with the Baltimore Orioles. So again, this isn't a situation where you know you're going to have to wait months. 
this is an immediate impact signing. Uh, and again, we'll see what kind of value he brings. But again, it's such a big day. Like as soon as international signing could happen, the Orioles immediately had everything already lined up. It's a, they did exactly what what the Orioles needed to do um, and, and to do it. So, um, uh, like I said, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking to, forward to you know listening to the Verge. They've got Kobe Perez going to be on there. Highly recommend listening to it um, just to kind of get some insight on these international signings um, some more. Um, and even just from the player development standpoint from Kobe Perez of just what are the Orioles doing differently now than they were three years ago? Um, it is such an immense change in terms of how this organization is being run. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Before baseball went dark, they made a couple of uh, major league free agent moves. Uh, they got Jordan Lyles to pitch for them. They they opened the pocketbook and spent $7 million. They also brought in Odor at second base, which I, I thought was an interesting signing what are your thoughts on each of those? All right, so let's let's start with Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles is you know thirty one years old. Uh, we're going to be having a a right handing pitcher um, again. If you look at his peripheral numbers, um, five point one five ERA last year, uh, five point four four FIP, four point seven three xFIP, seven point three Ks per nine, two point eight walks per nine. He really strikes me as kind of a a meh pitcher. The one big thing he's got going from from last year was he did throw 180 innings. Um, it was the season though that he threw his most innings out of any prior season. If you go back to 2019, he had 141. So when 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 Lyles was originally signed, the the, 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 the everyone was just like, well, good, we went out and got somebody that um you know can get through you know five and a third maybe even six innings uh and get 180 innings pitched so it was really interesting too because the orioles snuck it in right before the lockout um on, on the on the second um and again seven million dollar deal but also with a club option for an 11 million dollar deal for 2023 so again they can decline that so it's an interesting move i don't know if it's something i'm going to get really worked up against i look at this and i'm like it's probably a slightly better Matt Harvey in terms of innings pitched, but probably a similar kind of quality to what we got out of Matt Harvey last year in terms of quality of pitching, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I did think that was interesting. Uh, as far as his innings pitched, it'll be curious to see how far he can go because that's really the Orioles' boogaloo, right? They've got to get the innings from somewhere. And, and I agree. I mean, that's what we talked about all through last year, which is – the Orioles could never find someone that could go consistently six plus innings besides John Means. And then obviously John Means got hurt. Um, and then that put a, a, a wreck in terms of the rest of the organization and the rotation. So again, for $7 million, I'm not opposed to the move. Um, I also find it interesting that he was drafted by the Astros in 2008. Um, but again, it's just, it's nothing, no one should get like super excited about this. And that was what was really weird about Orioles Twitter is like Orioles Twitter got really jazzed about this signing. And I was just like, all right, that's fine. Um, but it's not something that I'm like, wow over. I do think it's interesting too. The $7 million is certainly a lot more than what Matt Harvey made last year. But like free agent pitching in terms of how much it was costing right before the lockout was extremely high, like much higher than I was expecting um, going into the lockout se- lockout season. So um, I think the Orioles probably made the best move that they could in terms of the risk they wanted to take. Um, but 
man, eventually you have to get somebody really good in here. Um, and, and Jordan Lyles is just, we'll call it a filler. Um, I think people were saying he could be the third starter on this team, but I, I look at it. Jordan, that's, well, that's high praise when you talk about the Baltimore. Orioles. And that's the whole point is like, I look at Jordan Lyles and I'm like, he's at best of best of fist starter on any other major league baseball roster. So it's true. Again, I'm not upset. I'm just like, I'm going to be like, yep, whoopee. Let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. What about Adore at second? Okay. So Odor is interesting. Um, th- and there's a few things here. Um, you know, Odor has historically been absolutely gosh awful from a batting average standpoint, but he definitely hits the ball really, really hard. So again, we- we've talked about this before in terms of Orioles scouting and Orioles player development of, Orioles player development scouting have worked really hard with this basis of trying to get, we'll call it swing planes and and swing levels to be appropriate to achieve certain results for extra base hits and for home runs. Um, it kind of fits into that model of K home run slash walk um, with Odor. I, I think if you look at Odor, I think there's thinking, we see something that no other organization sees at this given moment. Here's what scares me about that is like he obviously played for the Yankees last year and never could get it together. I mean, he did have a 0.6 war, but I mean, we're talking about a, a, an 88 weight of runs created plus. So again, he's a below average hitter, even with the Yankees, you know, analytics and system as well. So you kind of hope that maybe Medell has something planned for him, but I'm skeptical is the best way to put it. Um, and again, left-handed hitter. You would think he would rake in, uh, in, in in Yankee Stadium, and it just never came to be. Is the best way to put it. So I'm skeptical. Um, I, I don't really see much from this, but again, I'm also not expecting. There's not a ton of money owed to him as well from the Baltimore Orioles. I think he's actually going to get paid. Um, I think it's less than a million dollars because I think he he already had a contract signed through 2022 so i think they just are paying even maybe minimum salary um accordingly so i think it's low risk um yeah but it makes me wonder though if this will be the second year in a row that the orioles sign somebody for second base and then doesn't make it out of camp it's possible um it's absolutely possible i mean there's no doubt about that of like if he gets into camp and he does not adapt to the data that is being presented to him i could certainly see him being cut right away I just think the Orioles think they see something, so they're going to take a risk on it, um, and, and why not? Sure. All right, well, let's uh, let's leave second. Let's round and go to third base. And uh, I have just this to say, Scott. Mr. Angelos, tear down this wall. Do I have to get David Hasselhoff out now? He might. So the Orioles are going to move uh, left field. Uh, the left field wall is going to go back 26 and a half feet. And raise from seven feet four inches to thirteen feet. Um, interesting because Elias and Mydell have have called this a step toward neutrality. That's the same thing they said in Germany too when they ripped out the wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they say that uh, Oreo Park will still be a hitter friendly ballpark, but it will no longer be an outlier across the league. Um, you know, uh, there there are a lot of emotions about this. First and foremost, as, as there was the a old... ton of emotions about this. Let's let's not sugarcoat this. Like people lost their freaking mind over this. Like, um, yeah, people lost their mind. Like I said, it was literally like um, 
someone decided to go up to the Mona Lisa and paint a mustache across it, like in terms of how offensive it was. As as the old man of Twitter, let me just ask you, like, do you care about this? In in terms of like the stadium aesthetics? Yes. Like, you know, thing, things are going to be different, Scott. How how upset are you that things are going to be different? Um, so, yes, this is probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest changes that we have seen at Camden Yards since it's, it's indoctrination, as it were. I mean, I know there's been various changes in terms of, like, Centerfield Bar and stuff like that, but, like, this is a major change as it relates to the playing field that is certainly a, a massive standpoint. However, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to significantly bother me and say, well, I'm not willing to go to Camden Yards and watch this, or they've <laughs> ruined the uh, the allure or the mystic magic that is Camden Yards. Um, I think Elias and Medell's comment of a step toward neutrality is actually really appropriate. Um, again, if we take a look at park factors, um, since the orientation of Camden Yards, and again, I'm not even considering bad teams um, as of recently. I'm going all the way back through its inception. Yes, Camden Yards has always been in the upper echelon of being a hitter's ballpark. We'll call it, you know, an extra 8 to 9% runs. Maybe a little less than that. I'll take that back. 6 to 8% additional runs compared to a traditional average stadium at this given moment. So, yes, I agree that this step is an aspect to get the ballpark away from being an extra six, you know, to eight runs um, and getting it back to more of an average ballpark um, within major league baseball at this given time. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting The the thing about, you know, the change that I, I think is, is funny is that I think it'll be like any social media app that has a facelift. People get really frustrated and whine about it for two or three days. And then they forget what life was like before it. Right. I think that'll be this, the case with the, the ballpark. I think by, you know, the all-star break, we'll be used to it. And by the time, you know, next season or the season after that rolls around, you know, we'll stop even thinking about it. The only, uh, the only thing I think is a little weird is that little 90 degree angle that they're going to create wrapping around the bullpens. Yep. And I don't know that I have a strong feeling about it one way or the other, but I, I just I think it's going to add an interesting dimension to that part of the park. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to look at the angles. I wonder if that's, you know, like a triple in the make if you manage to hit it on the on the fly. I mean, I definitely think there is some really strange angles um, in, in here. Um, specifically on the basis of coming off the foul pole, you've got a really steep angle going back towards um, the left field fence. Now, um, you know one of the one of the commentaries that continue to come out through the many days that after this was got released is um, if you take a look at the dimensions and everything like that, it is very similar to PNC Park, um, which is very interesting because like PNC Park was certainly modeled after Camden Yards mm-hmm. after it was created. So it is interesting to me that we're taking. Um, certain aspects of PNC park now and applying it to Camden yards. But again, I, I, I look at it and I'm like, yes, there's going to be a lot more probably doubles and triples. Weird things are going to happen out there. Um, but I'm okay with that. Like I like a home run is cool, but like, it's also really fun when I think back to like folks like Matt Wieters 
trucking it through the bases to try to get to third base. <laughs> um, I think that's intriguing. Do you think that they, they have that really steep angle around the foul pole so that they could keep the foul pole at 333? Yes. Strictly because of the ballpark's address? Yes. Okay. I think I, they definitely kept it there to keep it you know within that standpoint. I think it, it's also a situation, too, where, um, from what I hear, they had contacted UJ English and said, hey, we hear you really like Section 7 over there where it's got the angled seats. How would you feel about having angled seats right there? But they're in fair territory, and you can catch a you can catch a home run. I I want to know is this going to turn itself into another pesky pole situation? I think it could. I think there's definitely a possibility that we could see a pesky pole home run. Um, but again, like if we think about all the home runs that we see at, at Camden Yards, like more times than not the left field standpoint, it doesn't normally go down that line and kind of curve around it or be around it. It normally is hit out to that area where we're extending out the fences, 26 and a half feet. So um, I'm cool with it. Like I said, I, I think this is a great change. Um, I, I, I understand where you're coming with the, with the 90 degree angle. And I do think it's going to be weird at, at parts, but um, I love this. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's, it has the possibility of, of being weird. I, I, I think it's great. Uh, I, I particularly think it's great if if it uh, has the desired effect of making Camden Yards that much easier a sell to bring quality pitching in. And that's you know that's the argument. Do you think that this will achieve that? Do you think that this is enough in addition to a competent baseball team to get free agent pitchers to say, oh, okay, I, it is not career ending to go to Camden Yards? Um, I think this is a major step forward is the best way to put it. Um, I, I do think that if you were to look at park factors, specifically left field and right field, and again, right field's not changing. I do think this is a major improvement where certain pitchers are going to look at it and say, hmm, that's interesting. Like it's not as bad as it was before. Um, I still think it's going to come back to, do I want to pitch against the, in the American league East and how much are you paying me? But I think this is a good step forward for the organization to take. Um, and like I said, I think it's just as simple as that. So I don't think it's going to change things overnight, but I do think that if we're thinking about this on a long-term basis of the next three, five, 10 years, this is a move that the Orioles had to make. See, what you're telling me is that, uh, the plans to move the wall back were a heavy part of the Jordan Lyles negotiations. What I'm saying is, um, it is a good thing that these, this wall was not moved back during 2014 when Delvin Young was hitting the ball. Yikes. Yikes on bikes. I, I do right. kind of wonder about this aspect with the wall standpoint because, like, it does raise the question, like, it is a lot more field out there. So, like, from a defensive standpoint, it is going to be completely different. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, I think we have seen the Angelos family, you know, play a certain role in terms of politics and, you know, community service and stuff like that. And I think this is clearly, clearly another gash at the far right aspect of Aubrey Huff and telling folks like Aubrey Huff they can no longer patrol left field. That, that is actually interesting because for the longest time, you know, we, we could put just about anybody out there in left field and have it not be damaging. Correct. But that'll no longer be the case. No, you um, cannot do that anymore. Specifically that corner, like we talked about the nine degree, like, you will need to have a rangy left fielder 
Um, and right field has always kind of been odd there, specifically with um, the right field corner. Um, and you've always wanted someone with additional range. You may need to have a, more range in left field than you will with right field at this point. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the Orioles do um, with their outfield situation. Like, obviously, we've talked about this before of Mullins and Hayes. Um, and I was always like, I'm not sure if Hayes is appropriate for right field. I always said that. And I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do with Hayes. Like, you can put him left field, but I feel like you're not getting the true value for him. Now I, you will. Now you may, if he stays healthy. Um, but I think it's really intriguing what the Orioles are trying to do um, and trying to, in essence, mix it up a little bit and just say, hey, we're going to mix it up a little bit and use what we can do um, on the field in order to basically take advantage of um, the given roster that we're putting together at this given moment. You know, in that first you know half of the season or whatever, there are going to be so many comments made during the broadcast of, well, that would have been a home run last year in this park, what have you. And it'll lead, I think, to an interesting comparison about, you know, what performing well offensively as a right-handed hitter in this ballpark means now versus ages past. I mean, you look at, you know, Cal Ripken Jr., the, uh, I think he's the, uh, yeah, home run leader for a franchise, right? 431, something like that. And enough of his career was spent here at Camden Yards toward the tail end where he was hitting a lot of his home runs into that first, second, you know, fifth row of left field. Uh, You think about Adam Jones, right, who hit a butt ton of home runs in this ballpark and how many would uh, have fallen into that uh, 26 and a half feet well. Um, It'll put an interesting I, it'll make an interesting change for the offensive output from a franchise standpoint uh, I, and, and what it means to succeed here. I still think it comes back down to like, yes, it is a massive change where like the, we'll call it the distance is changing. And then the height is also changing too. Mm-hmm. So I think this is two big things. Like we've also got to give consideration to that wall height increasing as much as it is. Like it really comes back to the point that line drive hitters with extreme power are going to do really well at Canyon Yards and we'll call it fly ball hitters may not do so well. Um, so again, I think it's going to be really intriguing to see how the Orioles scouting and players development do in terms of framing out line drive hitters that hit for really hit the ball really hard um, and really try to maximize the basis of power um, over we'll call it getting the ball in the air is the best way to put it. Fair, fair. Okay. Anything left with the wall? No, um, just that I love it. Um, I think this is a great move. You know, people have been talking about making changes in terms of Camden yards, in terms of the field and moving home plate back for the past 20 years. I am glad that finally um, ownership bequeathed and basically agreed to it. I know these conversations were even going on last winter um, in terms of trying to do something. Um, this is a major move and I am so excited to see what happens. Even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it to, uh, these are the kind of moves that I want to see the, the organization take in order to, to shake it up a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it'll be fun. I, if, if nothing else, it'll be fun. I, I also think that Nicole probably lost her mind when they walked in and told her, like, <laughs> I guarantee that Nicole was sitting there and just like, Hey guys, what's going on? So about the field, 
you're going to put construction equipment where? Yeah. Um, so that's the only thing. Like, if I could be a fly in the wall anywhere at Camden Yards over the past few months, I wish I was there when they told Nicole, just so that I could just listen to, like, how did she take it? All right. Well, let's move into home plate. For home plate, I want to talk expectations. Uh, we're not at the point in, in the season where we make predictions. But I want to talk about what, what you want to see out of 2022. What in your mind does success this season look like? And I guess to better frame that, you know, what will you be unsatisfied with? Um, so here's what I want for 2022. I want a full healthy season of Adley Rutschman. I want a full healthy season with Grayson Rodriguez. And news came out today that D.L. Hall got back onto the mound today and started pitching. I want to see D.L. Hall do well within the minors. It doesn't mean that he's out to have success, but I want to see him kind of go through his trials and tribulations, go through an entire season. That's what I really want to see this year is see those three players um, do immensely well is the best way to put it. Yeah, I'd love to see repeats of you know other success stories that we saw from 2021, but those guys are really going to make or break this team in terms of being a playoff team or not. I'll have to tell you, after beating the drum last year of saying that the, the performance from a win and loss standpoint doesn't really matter during a rebuild and that the, the Orioles you know, didn't really need to spend money to, to win 70 games instead of 55, I'll tell you, I, I struggled just like everybody else to generate excitement over a team that was just terrible and got you know its brains kicked in every night. I, I think from my standpoint, I do want to see more wins uh, in 2022 to make the games more interesting. I miss baseball. I missed uh, watching baseball. And, you know, last year it it was hard to stay engaged as a fan because, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot to watch for. And so I I think, you know, I don't want to put a magic number on it. It's got to be this or that, but there needs to be more of a commitment to winning at the major league level. In addition to all the amazing things that they're doing, you mentioned infrastructure earlier in the episode. I think you're absolutely right. I'm so excited about the thing that the teams are, uh, the, the things that the team is doing for later, but for the now for that in between period, I feel like they do have to give us more than they gave us last year. I, I was not, you know, beating them up for it last year, but having lived through it the once, I'd rather not live through it again. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I don't know if there's going to be an immense amount of difference in terms of the win-loss column. But I think we're going to see certain things start to pop up like we did in 2010 and 2011. We're going to be like, I'm willing to watch more is the best way to put it. So I'm intrigued. Like I said, I've talked about this for several years now. I think we're we're getting to that point. We saw this last year with uh, Cedric Mullins. John Means and stuff like that, where certain personalities started to come out. And I think we're going to continue to see that with folks like Ryan Mountcastle, for example. Um, I think that this is going to be the year where the blurry vision becomes a little less blurry and you get to feel, figure out what it's going to look like if it's going to be successful or not. Um, I think by the end of the year, you'll know pretty darn well um, whether there's a chance in 2023 or not um, is the best way to do it. And that doesn't describe winner losses. That just describes talent in spurts is the best way to put it. 
If you had to uh, put on your your uh, you know your your predictions hat, if you had to look into your magic ball, would you say that the prediction of 2023 is still holding pretty strong at this point? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm bullish. I mean, I, I know there are other people that will say there's no chance, Scott. You're absolutely wrong, but I'm bullish. It it comes back down to like. If you get Adley, you get Grayson Rodriguez for a half a season this year, maybe even a quarter of a season. Um, John Means is still able to be kind of productive out there. You're getting really close is the best way to put it. Like you're getting really, really close. So I'm not opposed to it whatsoever. Um, I'm, I'm still bullish on the on the aspect of 2023. Um, what I think may be the toughest standpoint for 2022 is I think this will be it for, for, for Trey Mancini. So I think we're going to have to say goodbye to him at some point in 2022, and I think that's going to be tough on everyone in Birdland. Yikes. Well, let's leave that on that very high note. We'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and talk about what else we can look forward to in 2022. All right, so in 2022, you know, we were talking about it before, but, you know, 2022 is such an interesting year. It is um, a year of celebrations, and the Orioles came out and mentioned that this will be the 30th year anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. They're going to be doing, you know, various activities, um, and again, it's it's even the 10th year anniversary of the Buckle Up Birds era in 2012, where the Orioles somehow managed after um, a podcast said that they were going to lose 100 games uh, managed to turn into a playoff team well ha- hang on let me let me take this one by one because these are these are all interesting first of all camden yards 30 years that makes me feel ancient um you are they, they announced the 30 year uh celebration kind of light on details yes as far as what they were actually going to do I think it's interesting that they went out and they said, we're going to have this grand celebration of the ballpark and then didn't have anything to say about what that was going to be. Um, are you surprised? I mean, it, it really feels like somebody that woke up and was like, oh, that was today. Oh, this is 30 years. Uh, yeah, no, I've got an amazing slideshow presentation. You're going to love it in fifth period right after lunch. It's going to be awesome. I mean, I guess the question is, there are certain things that they are doing. Like, I think the one really cool thing that they're doing is coming back and saying, hey, we're going to do bleacher seats and we're going to do them super cheap. I think they're 10 bucks this year. I think that's a great idea. Like I said, I think bleacher tickets should always be in that, we'll call it 10 to $15 range at at all times. Um, So I like that. But like, I, I come back to the standpoint of celebrating the uh, years of a stadium and um i don't i think it's a really tough standpoint it's not like the 60th year of the Orioles organization um which i remember very vividly in 2014 um you're celebrating a physical stadium as it were so like how do you do that i guess is the question like how do you build up momentum for that well and and think about how many amazing memories they've had in this (laughs) 
in the stadium. I mean, I, I am saying that tongue in cheek because you look at it and, you know, if, if you look at the Orioles 60 plus years in the league, I would argue that the first 30 years sure. were better than the second 30. Yes. You know, they have less to uh, less to celebrate at Canada Yards than any other time in their history. I don't know. It just seems like if you're going to go out and make a, a stink about the, the celebration there should actually be celebration there. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I think there's a few ideas. I mean, I think it comes back down to, like, when we think about Canyon Yards over the past 30 years, what could be done? So, I mean, the first one's an obvious one. Like, I think it is a situation of, like we mentioned it in the previous segment, when Trey Mancini is traded, the Orioles need to play him five and a half innings, and then in the bottom of the fifth, they need to pull him out. He needs to circle the entire field High well, five one moment in time plays. Yeah, well, well, one, one moment in time plays, and then he immediately is traded to the New York Mets to play with Buck Showalter. Man, this has been a while. I've forgotten how painful this segment could be. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I will be interested to see what else they do. I was just, I was underwhelmed. I guess what you're telling me is I, I should, this is on me, I should have been underwhelmed the whole time. I mean, I, I think there are certain things that the Orioles should do. Like, the one thing that I think would be really cool would be like, I think back to the 90s and I think back to the typical um, uniform garb that the ushers used to wear. Like the, the orange hats, the overalls, the white shirt. Stripes, yeah, the stripes. Yeah. I'd love to see that again. Like I'd love to, you know, in essence, experience that once again. Um, you know, I, I think the 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 reverse pricing in terms of like the $10 bleachers is a great idea. I think, you know, that's something that the Orioles need to continue to do so. But again, I think the Orioles are going to be challenged on this basis of what can they do in order to really reminisce about 30 years worth of history. And in reality, it comes back down to like, is 30 years really that different than 25 years? Like, what do we do during the 25th anniversary that's going to be different than the 30th anniversary? I, I think. You know, I, I think this was a made up celebration um, and I ultimately don't think it really matters. Fair. All of that's fair. All right. Ten years since the buckle up birds. That feels bad. It, it, that feels very bad. It feels like it shouldn't be that long. Um, but it was. <laughs> yeah. And and beyond that, that makes me think back to, you know, the Orioles last really contending year is also pretty far back in the in the rear view mirror as well i mean 2016 was really the last gasp and well, uh, i mean for a playoff team yes but like in reality we went to the 2017 we gave it the you know the, the college try it didn't work out and torpedoes in 2018 it was a situation where we said we are coming back in 2018 we're making one big splash and just seeing if we can make it one more time and everyone went in that season saying this is our last chance let's hope we can do it and the beginning of the season was absolutely garbage. And we're like, well, so much for that season. Like, that was an absolute travesty. So, I mean, I still think you've got to come back and put this perspective. Like, the Orioles were trying to be competitive from 2012 to 2018. And ever since then, they had not been competitive. So, you've got 19, 20, 21, and now 2022. So, this is the fourth year of not trying to play competitive baseball. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, outside right. of 2018, 2017 still gave us September baseball. Yeah, it's true. We did not succeed enough to basically get there, but we got to about that second week of September before we were like, 
it's not going to happen. Womp, womp, womp. All right. We have another big round number celebration this year. I'm really excited about it. Scott, we're going to have to find ways in September to celebrate this. This is something I want to put a lot of effort into. I want to make sure that we we cheer this just from the Raptors. This marks the 20th anniversary of the Orioles' epic 4-32 and 32 collapse Oof. at the end of the 2002 season. And if there is not something better to commemorate than that, I don't know what is. Yeah. Um, so I remember this this vividly of um, 2002, uh, August, September is when I started college. Uh, and I remember, and I'm like, I could still get WBAL radio um, all the way up in downtown Pennsylvania um, if I jerry-rigged my radio well enough is the best way to put it. And I was so excited to be like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be able to listen to the Oriole game. And then that happened. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is a sign from God that I should not be listening to Oriole baseball in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, I thought you were going to say maybe I shouldn't be going to college. Well, that's a possibility too, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was a brutal September, a brutal September. Um, I can't even describe how bad that was. Well, we are going to celebrate it this September. We are going to we're going to pull out all the Scott, all the stops. Scott, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we are going to absolutely live that four and 32 life all over again. Can I make a suggestion you know, here? Yeah. All right. So here's my suggestion. We're going to get to September. Most people are not going to care about baseball at that point because the Orioles are probably going to be out of it. Um, Jake, how about we we chronicle um, how well the Orioles were doing in September? And on each day, I will present you a beer, and you need to consume the beer that I present to you. Um, and it'll be basically an ode to a game um, by the Baltimore Orioles in, in, in that September period. Okay, I like it. I like it. I will, you know those- I will admit that I will probably be going to Wine World and saying, what is the worst beer that you have in stock right now? Like that I could give him and they will probably say Michelob Ultra. And I'll be like, like, no, that doesn't work for this guy. It needs to be much worse than Michelob Ultra. So, so folks, what I'm asking for you is if you follow this podcast, you know, we, we love our beer and everything like that. Please send me your recommendations in terms of really, really bad beer that you would like Jake English to drink. Um, and you know what? We'll expand on this too. If there is a certain shot that we could potentially make for Jake no. English, no. let's do it. No. I'm going to give you the first one, Scotty. It's the uh, it's Beer 30 by the Melanie Brewing Company out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Write that one down. That is 4 and 30, 4 and 32 worthy. All right. Uh, also, this year, Scott, another anniversary. It will be 10 years podcasting for Bird's Eye View. 10 seasons of Orioles baseball that we will describe in far too much detail. That is surprising. Uh, That is surprising. Um, As we slowly approach the hour mark for this episode, uh, I apologize to all of our audience for wasting 10 years of your life. All right. What else is going on this year uh, that we can look forward to in 2022? Uh, Major League debuts are always exciting when the team can't manage to get themselves together for wins and losses. Obviously, everybody is looking forward to Rutschman. When is he going to make the team? Will it be right out of spring training? Uh, And, and, you know, with the new CBA, that might be far more likely. Um, But also, I mean, we both expect Rodriguez to pitch in Baltimore in this season, right? Yes, absolutely. It's just a matter of if, not when. Uh, I mean, uh, when, not if. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think 
I think it's probably going to be like that July slash August time frame for Grayson Rodriguez. Um, but we'll, we'll see if I'm right or wrong on that one. All right. Is there anybody else that we should be expecting to come up this year? I mean, we talked about Grayson Rodriguez. So obviously within the next breath, we have to reference DL Hall. Is it reasonable to think that he might be on his way up? Or do you think that the injury that you referred to earlier might uh, put him in a little bit uh, slower timetable? Yeah, I don't see DL Hall being coming up for the Orioles on the active organization. Like I said, if he can get through Bowie <laughs> through the entire season, I'd be ecstatic. But, you know, I think Gunnar Henderson's an interesting name um, potentially to pop up. Um, that's, you know, I think the most interesting name at this given time in terms of someone that people could get excited over. Um, you know, obviously like you've got Kyle Bradish and stuff like that, but like, I think Gunnar Henderson is one of those, you know, folks that, you know, if the Orioles wanted to make that move in August or September, it would really signal that they are going to go full head, uh, into 2023 and try to, you know, potentially feel like a very competitive team going forward. All right, cool. Um, so that's debuts. I, I always think that's fun because, you know, again, it, it gives you something to look forward to. But let's look at, you know, what we can expect or or at least look forward to in 2022 as far as, you know, the guys that we've already had. Uh, obviously, all eyes are going to be on Cedric Mullins to see if he can come anywhere close yep. to doing what he did last year. Um, it, it's the same question, though. Like, what what do you expect and or what will you be satisfied with? I would be satisfied with a 2020 season. That would is what I'd be satisfied with. Okay. So the year before last and not, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So 60 games of excellence and that's it. Uh, and again, I still think it comes back down to like, we've got to put perspective in like, Cedric Mullins had one of the best seasons of all time for the Baltimore Orioles this past season. He had a better season last year than Adam Jones ever had. I think if you look at what he's going to do defensively, and I think what you're going to see him do offensively, I think he's still going to be a three or four war player. And I think that's perfectly fine. Like he doesn't have to be who he was last year. Um, I think it's great if he can do that again. I just, I don't know. Call me skeptical, call me snake bitten, but I I just don't know. There was an immense amount of difference that watching Cedric Mullins in terms of plate discipline that I've ever seen him have. If he's able to have that plate discipline once again, though, he may have another replicate year. Honestly, um, he was a completely different batter. But he, I, he I, certainly was. I'm just waiting for you know a 2020 or 2025 season. I'm not expecting anything more than that. Um, if it gives me more than that, it's cream on top. All right. What uh, what else are you looking for as far as this next season is coming up? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing John Means throw three no-hitters. Um, all at Camden <laughs> totally, Yards. Totally sustainable, by the way. Absolutely. All at Camden Yards because, you know, we haven't been able to see one at Camden Yards. Um, it's the wall. With the wall pushed back, he'll get those yeah, extra two no-hitters. You know, I mean, I, it's not the no-hitters, but it is going to help John Means a ton. Like, you take a look at some of the home runs he did give up, um, and a lot were in that section that they were moving. So, um, do I? how bold am I here? Like, how 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 bold do you want me to be? Because 
How, wait, 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 how bold do I want you to be or how bold are you? Those are two separate questions and any listen to this podcast will tell you that. Can I can I be as so bold as to say, like, I think John Means may be a top five Cy Young candidate? <laughs> you can say it. Yeah, no, that that's great. And I I, I love hearing it. Um, here's, <clears throat> here, wow. here's why I say this is, you know, John Means obviously had the stuff last year. There's no question about it. Um you and I are, are both were not fans of Pedro Severino in terms of catching prowess. Mm. Um, if Adley Rutschman is behind home plate for the majority of the 2022 season, I don't know. It could get really interesting really quickly. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put it out, out there. I, I think John means has a top five Cy Young season um, and puts his name in the field for being a Cy Young candidate halfway through the year last year, John means was a Cy Young candidate. And then he obviously got hurt. And the second half of the year was absolutely abysmal. I- I'm going to say it. I think John means is going to have a top five year to be a Cy Young candidate. Boy, when we drew up the show notes, I was not expecting this conversation. Uh, li- listen from your lips to God's what ears. What is I, in I, this I kettle hope. sour that I am drinking right now? <laughs> It's it's orange colored for sure. Oh, uh, this wow. actually does have THC in it. That, that probably explains <laughs> a lot. So, I'm I'm also curious to see what the uh, development of the continued development of Ryan Mountcastle will be. Uh, that is a guy who's going to be impacted by the left field wall, uh, either because you know he's playing in front of it. Here's hoping not, or uh, because it'll it'll bite into his uh, offensive numbers. Uh, but I will. I'll be interested to see what it, what his. I reiterate like. my previous statement, which is uh, just like you said. Mountcastle played a lot of left field. Mountcastle cannot continue to play left field with those given dimensions. Um, sooner rather than later, Ryan Mountcastle has to go to first base. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, it's it's it it pains me, everyone, to say this, but it's. It's coming sooner rather than later. It's coming. Um, and we'll see when the Orioles are able to make that move is the best way to put it. The last thing that I have on my list of things that I'm looking forward to in 2022 is the return of Orioles baseball to crackling. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so yeah, excited. Yes, we are the old men of Twitter, but uh, I just remember so many nights of li- you know, listening to the Orioles in bed on the AM station, just listening to that very distinctive sound. And sure, you know, the fact that the Orioles have signed with Hearst means that you can hear it on 98 Rock and all that's great. But for me, it'll always be 1090. So good. So, so great in terms of being able to be coming back onto AM, you know, not just for the crackly noise, but like it also makes a ton of sense in terms of, getting product out there across the airwaves to a, a majority of the population. Um, yes, I know most people are going to stream through their phones and stuff like that too, but I, I love this move. Um, I also am eager to see folks like Pete Gilbert get more access and stuff like that too. Um, when I saw that come out, I was just so happy um, just in terms of um, that happening. Like I said, I was just tickled, tickled pink. Um you know, sometimes the rules are made to be broken, Jake, and sometimes you just need to listen to Crackly Radio. Absolutely. All right. Anything else to look forward to in 2022? 
Um, I think there's a few things. Like, there are some interesting away games. And yes, I realize we're still in the era of COVID. But, like, the fact that I think the, the Orioles play at Wrigley Field this year, I think there are a few games like that that would be cool to go to. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, understand absolutely. it's a bad team. But I would... I would take a look at the schedule a little bit closer and think along the lines of don't put in perspective for 2021, but just say, how cool would it be for me to go to a game and watch Adley Rutschman and John Means pitch at Wrigley Field? That sounds pretty darn cool to me. I might do that. Um, I might write off as a business trip since one of my companies is in Chicago. Um, <laughs> but like I said, I think it's important for us to partake in those experiences as they come along. And I think the past two years have shown us that you never know where you get to have one of those experiences again. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's leave it there. Uh, Take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll blow the save. Scotty, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the return of baseball, looking forward to the return of baseball. You know, this is the time when really, you know, I I realize how much I've missed baseball being gone and get excited for the beginning of the season. One of the things uh, that keeps me connected to baseball is is actually through my kid. You know, Henry plays Little League and and loves doing that. And I've been lucky enough to to kind of experience baseball through his eyes for the last few years. and so uh, over the last, I don't know, maybe five or six years, I've been lucky enough to, to coach him and a, and a few other kids uh, in our local little leagues and really just enjoy doing that. You know, my wife and I met um, working at a day camp. I love working with kids. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And to do that in a, a frame of baseball has really been enriching. There, there have just been so many days, you know, where I come home from a really rotten day at work and get to spend you know, two hours uh, laughing with kids on a baseball field. Uh, there, there could be nothing finer. Um, Henry uh, was uh, lucky enough to uh, – a lot of hard work that went into it, but he, he got himself a spot on the travel baseball team. Um, and here's the weird thing about travel, Scott. They've got real coaches. What? Um, yeah, I know. It's weird. Uh, so I've, I've hung up the clipboard, and i got to be honest with you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up a second. You didn't go to the current coach and say, hey – I've been podcasting for 10 years. I think I know <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, uh, because there's an there's an expert Australian coach. No, um, but I, I hung up the clipboard and, and uh, so now I'll just uh, pace the sidelines like an idiot. But it did make me think that it is just one connection to this game that I love so much that is no longer uh, available to me. And so I just want to throw this out for... You know, parents of of young kids or anybody that's involved in youth sports or or youth baseball, you know, enjoy it. Remember to stop and and smell the roses because at some point uh, your involvement might uh, might be slimmed down a bit and you'll be looking, you know, through the fence uh, instead, which is which is kind of a bummer. So here's looking to uh, to more baseball 
uh, if the Orioles ever come back. Um, but if you are gearing up for a youth baseball season, please enjoy it. So let me let me make sure I get this trajectory correctly. Um, coach, commissioner, and now fired, correct? Yes, that's how it worked. All right, so what do we need to do to apply the same formula to Rob Manfred going forward? I don't know. I think he's trying his best, but it's just Folks, not working for him. I need everybody to get Rob Manfred's son onto a travel baseball team. If you got a travel baseball team out there and you're looking to bring someone on board, let me know. I want to get Rob Manfred said son on there immediately because clearly, by logical progression, um, by getting your son onto a travel baseball team, it means you can no longer be a commissioner. It's good work. It's good work. Good work. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. It encourages other people to unfortunately listen to us for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Mask up, get your shots, and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.